One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 261 of the podcast that is Sweeping America, the Air Tourist Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, June 11, 2020. I hope everyone is having a great time. I know I've said it quite a bit over the last couple weeks, but I hope many of you are getting back to a sense of normalcy, getting back to your jobs, getting back to eating out at restaurants, getting back to the gym, doing the things that make us all feel normal. It's obviously been a very surreal time in our country over the last three, three and a half months since all this coronavirus stuff started, but I do hope you guys are getting back to your sense of normalcy. And I'll say really quick, I want to thank you guys again for your support of this show. One, we've had a lot of great topics to talk about over the course of this offseason, be it the canceled NCAA tournament, the G League stuff, coronavirus, where we're headed with college football, with the NFL, with Major League Baseball, with the NBA. But even despite all the great content, you guys continue to listen and deliver. I told you that May was the most downloaded month in the history of the show, as best I can tell. And this past Monday, on the heels of this Cade Cunningham, Oklahoma State news, was the most downloaded show, as best I can tell, that I have ever done. Monday set a, I, I don't want to say that, Monday set a single day downloads record. Obviously, it'll be a few months before I figure out if this show surpasses some of the other ones from previous months and previous years, but a single day record for downloads on Monday. Thank you guys so much for the support, and I should mention another great show today. First of all, I mentioned the Cade Cunningham stuff, and later in the show, I'll bring back my buddy Corey Evans from Rivals.com. Corey knows Cade Cunningham and his family about as well as anybody, and Corey and I have a really lengthy 30, 35-minute conversation on Cade Cunningham. He actually spoke to Cade the day the announcement came out that Oklahoma State will be banned from the NCAA tournament. We talk about what kind of kid Cade Cunningham is, what his options are, what is realistic, what is not, and I think Corey Evans will give you insight that you really won't hear anybody else because as I said, in the media, I don't believe that there is anyone that is closer with the Cunningham family than Corey Evans, so listen for that. That is later in the show, and you will be caught up 100% on this Cade Cunningham stuff. I should mention, by the way, Oklahoma State, this is part of the reach of this show, and it's a thank you to you guys for listening, but Oklahoma State actually apparently has heard what I said on Monday's show about this Cade Cunningham situation. I may be having uh, Oklahoma State head coach Mike Boynton on the show here in the immediate future to just talk about everything and really give you guys even better insight into what is going on there. But today's focus is Cade Cunningham. Corey and Evans and I discussed that. We also discussed Jonathan Kaminga. We discussed Musa Cisse, two players that recently joined the class of 2020 who could play college next year, could play in the pros. And I had to ask him about UConn. UConn wraps uh, a top 20 recruiting class. Dan Hurley appears to have that program trending in the right direction. So all of that with Corey Evans. Before we get to Corey, I do briefly want to talk about all this stuff that is going on with this Zion Williamson court case. And it's something that people that care about college basketball have been following very closely. And I think with good reason. This is probably the closest that we will ever get to seeing uh, Coach K have his feet to the fire in terms of potential 
NCAA rules violations either involving Duke or at the very least involving a player at Duke. Not to say that Duke itself did anything wrong, certainly not to say that Coach K did anything wrong, but it is a very interesting court case. I'm going to talk about that and then also just what the reaction has been because I find it very interesting. May talk a little bit about that Duke AD and his comments. I actually thought they were a little bit misconstrued. Everybody wants to crush Duke, crush this, crush that. I actually thought the AD's comments on Tuesday about name image likeness was not the worst thing in the world. And then we will, in fact, get to Corey Evans. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. That's how I listen to this show on my Android. I'm not team iPhone. Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. New uh, new review in from my buddy MKBeard1224, and he's my new buddy because listen to this review. The Aaron Torres podcast is great. 10 out of 10 would recommend. MK Beard says this, so I travel quite a bit throughout the state and podcasts are, necess- are a necessity for me. This podcast ranks high up there on the priority list for me. Aaron does an outstanding job and breaking down things and puts on great analysis. Not only is he very educational in the sports world, but very entertaining. You can just feel his amazing attitude coming through the speakers. Great podcast, great guy. Subscribe now. So when I tell you to subscribe, don't listen to me. Listen to MK Beard, because MK Beard just delivered with a great, great, great review. Thank you guys again so much for everything that you have done for this show. As I said, Record number of downloads on Monday, record number of downloads in May. We actually have, and this is a credit to the folks at Kentucky Sports Radio, I can't take too much credit for this, we have sponsors lined up for the fall in a crazy world where the advertising industry is not in an awesome place right now, understandably so because of everything. People want to be involved in this show, and that is a direct reflection of you, so thank you guys. Also, make sure you're following on all the social media platforms. I've mentioned it, but Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres writer on Facebook. If you want to follow on Facebook, YouTube, Aaron Torres. And if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And let's talk this Zion Williamson stuff, people. There is no more time to wait. Let's get into it. Because while I think it was a relatively quiet two, three days since I recorded on Sunday, I do think the overarching story in college basketball for the next month or so is going to remain this Oklahoma State stuff and what does Cade Cunningham decide to do. I get into it with Corey Evans. For people who don't know, I mean, you you listened on last episode, but he is the number one ranked high school player in the country, committed to Oklahoma State. With them looking at a potential postseason ban, they have been given a postseason ban for 2021, which they are appealing. Of course, Cade Cunningham may never end up at Oklahoma State's campus, could transfer, could pursue a pro option, or could very much decide to stick it out at Oklahoma State and have a great season and hope that the tournament ban is overturned. But Corey Evans and I get into that later. I do think that is going to be the story for the next couple weeks until Cade Cunningham makes a decision. And frankly, he might not make a decision into July or August as he weighs all of his options. But in the meantime, I do want to talk to Zion Williamson stuff because it's one of these stories that's kind of just like it's just just there. And I think it's kind of hard to piece together what's going on what it means, what could potentially happen to Duke. And so I'm just going to lay out my understanding of everything. I am far from a legal expert. My buddy Dan Lust, he was on maybe six weeks ago, two months ago. I may bring him on 
to give us a better understanding of what's going on if it comes to that. But let me give you a quick rundown of what is going on, what could happen. And frankly, I'm just curious what is going to be the reaction from the media if it does happen, because Zion Williamson is under a little bit of fire because of a situation that occurred with him, with his parents, and with an agency, not even necessarily while he was at Duke, but shortly thereafter. And so let me lay it out and what it all means. And very simply, to start with the layout, it really kind of stems from everything that we watched on the college basketball court in the fall of 2018 winter of 2018 into the, the winter of 2019 and spring of 2019. And that was that, that Zion Williamson was a really awesome college basketball player. I think it goes without saying he was probably the most high-profile player I can remember in a really long time. I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say. I mean, you could maybe say Anthony Davis, but outside of Anthony Davis, Zion's right up there with the Fab Five with Christian Leitner with Larry Johnson in terms of just the most marketable high-profile college players uh, of really the last 20-25 years and I think in the one-and-done era Anthony Davis maybe Kevin Durant but even Kevin Durant I don't think got the hype that Zion did and so obviously as he continued throughout his college career we knew he was going to be a one-and-done, and we knew not only was he going to be a one-and-done, but he was going to be an insanely marketable professional player. And so it goes without saying that he was going to be pursued by every single agency in America because they knew if you sign Zion Williamson, you're basically signing up for a guy that's probably going to make you, at minimum, $100, $150 million over the course of his career, and at maximum... Fran Fraschilla been saying this since Zion Williamson was in high school. Fran Fraschilla said, I think Zion's going to be the first billion-dollar basketball player in terms of multiple sneaker uh, uh, endorsement deals, multiple max contracts in the NBA. Fran Fraschilla said he may be worth a billion dollars. So as you can imagine, there was a very high-profile pursuit of Zion Williamson when he declared for the NBA draft and when he became eligible to go to the NBA and earn a bunch of money. And shortly after he declared, he signed with this like pretty small, weird agency out of North Carolina. And I remember even at the time, I don't know that it made big national news, but it was kind of a head scratcher, right? Everyone's kind of assuming, okay, Zion's going to go sign with Clutch where Rich Paul and LeBron have a stake in things. He's going to sign with CAA. He's going to sign with one of these massive, massive, massive agencies. Instead, he signs with this really small, like boutique quiet place in North Carolina that nobody's ever heard of. Now, about a month later, he reneges on that commitment and he basically signs with CAA, the big, bad kind of behemoth of, of, of sports agencies. CAA is global, it's worldwide. Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, you name players and there's a good chance that they, 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 they are with CAA. And so Zion, um, apparently he signed a contract with this small marketing firm, this small agency. But apparently in North Carolina, there's a very obscure rule that you have to be registered in a certain way uh, under a certain kind of clause or you're not a valid agent. And so when Zion broke that contract, he basically said like, look, these people aren't certified as agents, so I don't owe them a damn thing. Well, as you can guess, that agency said, well, screw that. We want the money that we thought we were going to get from Zion, so we are going to sue Zion Williamson and his family. And the way that they are trying to get around the fact that this small agency was not a certified agency 
is basically by saying Zion was taking extra benefits all along. So by technicality, Zion was never an amateur athlete. So by technicality, because he was never an amateur athlete, this law about agents doesn't apply to us. If he's not an amateur, he can sign with anybody. And we believe that we should be qualified to get the earnings on Zion that we would have gotten. And so that is why they are suing him. They are suing him for $100 million and basically saying like, look, that's the money that we were going to make had Zion Williamson uh, signed with us. We're going to make at least $100 million. And so he owes us that money for breaking his contract with us. He did sign with us. Zion's argument is you guys weren't certified as real agents and I don't owe you anything. Their argument is, well, you guys were breaking NCAA rules the whole time, so you were never an amateur athlete, so you do owe us because that contract is valid. And so basically, this agency, their whole argument, the the whole way that they're trying to, if you want to use the word, bring down Zion, I don't know if that's totally fair, but I don't think it's totally unfair either. Their argument is basically like, look, we're going to prove to the world that your family was taking extra benefits, and we are going to make you in court admit, hey, guess what? Mom and dad were living in a house that was paid for by somebody other than them. Not saying it was Duke, to be clear. It could have been Duke, but it also could have been Nike. It could have been an agent. It could have been, in theory, another shoe company that was trying to to keep good tabs on Zion. It could have been Adidas. It could have been Under Armour. Is that likely? Probably not, but it is an inconceivable that it was somebody other than Duke or other than Nike, but realistically, it was somebody either associated with Duke and probably, most realistically, somebody associated with Nike. And so basically, this whole um, agency's plan is to make Zion get on the witness stand and prove that he was, in fact, paid by somebody while he was at Duke, which makes him an amateur athlete, which makes their contract whatever term you want to use. I was going to say null and void, but whatever the opposite of null and void is, you get the point. And so it's kind of a fascinating legal back and forth. And I am just fascinated to see how this all unfolds. Because one, is there a scenario where Zion Williamson has to take the witness stand? Is there a a scenario where Coach K has to take the witness stand? Beyond that, is there a place where Zion just says, here, I'll write you a check for X amount of money? And we're never going to talk about this publicly. So that's kind of the fascinating next step. And right now we're kind of in that middle ground of is Zion going to have to take the witness stand or not? But to me, the fascinating thing is this. What will be the public perception if it goes forward? If Zion has to take the witness stand, if he has to admit that he took money, if he has to admit that Coach K uh, or if Coach K has to go on the witness stand and say, I don't really know where, where he got the money, but it probably he was living in a house that he probably shouldn't have. I just want to see what the reaction is because to me, I haven't really commented on this story because I don't really find the topic particularly interesting, right? Because I think that anyone with a brain would say something was probably going on to get Zion to to Duke and to make sure that his family was comfortable. And that's not me going after Duke or crushing Duke. It's common sense. We've been talking about it on this podcast since I started this podcast. If you remember, it came out in these FBI trials that Kansas, there are text messages from Kansas coaches saying, well, if we want Zion, you know, he's going to need to be taken care of. His parents are going to want a house. His parents are going to want a car, maybe a little bit of spending cash. Like, like we need to to provide him something if we want to be a player in this game. And so I think anybody with a functioning brain was basically like, you know what? If Kansas, excuse me, sorry, my, my, my voice cracked there. 
But I think anyone with a functioning brain was kind of like, well, shoot, if Kansas knew that they needed to spend money to be a player in the Zion recruitment, it's probably not realistic to think that he went to Duke for free. Now, I will say, as I've said a bunch of times, that's not to say that Duke was directly involved, and it's not to say that there isn't a legal way that this was done. I mean, people take out, int- uh, take out loans on future earnings all the time. I can go back to when I was in high school a million years ago. There was a senior the same year that I was a senior named LeBron James. Don't know if you heard of him. And of course, at the time, the big story was that LeBron was driving this $60,000 Hummer. And everyone was like, well, where did he get the money for a Hummer? Oh, my God, he's breaking NCAA rules. And it turned out that they just took out a loan out on, on his future earnings. And everybody knew at the time he didn't have to go to college. They knew he was going pro. And every car dealer in Akron, Ohio was like, yeah, we'll give you, we'll give you whatever you want. We'll take out a loan based off future earnings and get that money. So it's not to say that it couldn't have happened. But what I'm fascinated to see, what happens if it does happen, right? What happens if Duke does have to take the witness stand, Coach K, Zion, whatever, and they basically have to say like, yeah, Zion was getting some money. Zion's parents were getting some money kind of underneath the table. Because I think there's kind of two ways to look at that. And here's why. I think on the one hand, I want to be abundantly clear. I say it on the time, all the time on this show. If you break the rules, you have to be punished. And I think there is no doubt that if Duke is found guilty of all this stuff, it's pretty bad, right? Like It's pretty bad whether it's Duke directly involved or whether it's somebody else that was paying for Zion. Not only was Zion not eligible, making that Elite Eight run, you know, doesn't exist in NCAA rulebook, but I think it, you know, leads to the larger question of what should the punishment be? I spent a bunch of time talking about Oklahoma State on last episode. Oklahoma State just got a one-year postseason ban because one of their assistant coaches took $18,000 in cash and put it in his own pocket. He gave $300 to a player. The player was suspended, and nobody else in Oklahoma State got any of that money. So think about a player getting $300 and a coach pocketing $18,000. And then think about the reality that Zion's parents, which came out in the court documents on Wednesday, they were living in a house that cost $5,000 a month. That's a lot of money. Now, they could have had the money themselves. They could have come up with the money from somewhere else. But if we're going to punish Oklahoma State with a one-year NCAA tournament ban, I sure hope if we ever get to that point with Duke, that they are punished accordingly. Now, that leads to the second question, which is, will they? And that, to me, is the fascinating part, and here's why. First of all, if this does come out, if Zion does have to take the witness stand, his parents have to take the witness stand, his coach has to take the witness stand, whatever, we're still going to have a one- to two-year period where there's an NCAA investigation, and any NCAA investigation isn't going to be wrapped up in the next year, in the next 18 months, in the next whatever. We don't even know if Zion's going to have to take the witness stand. But even if he does, we all know what the process is from there. As I explained with Oklahoma State the other day, the NCAA has to come to your campus. They have to investigate. They have to write up a report. They have to send you the report. They, then you can appeal the report. Then they look at your appeal. And it's like a one-and-a-half to two-year process. And so we're talking about even if they get busted – we're talking about like 2022, 2023 at the earliest that actual sanctions could come out. And I think if you look at the climate of college sports right now, and I'm not saying it's fair, I'm just being realistic. I don't know that it's going to be this seismic, cataclysmic, uh, huge, nat- crazy story. Now, it'll be a story, but I think that the tone on college athletics has changed so much. 
I'll just be fascinated to see what the reaction will be if Duke is found guilty, if they did something wrong, if at the very least they played an ineligible player. Because I look at it, and by the time this whole thing gets wrapped up, one, Coach K might even be retired by then, but two, this name image likeness stuff is moving full speed ahead, which we'll get to in a minute with the Duke AD. And I really do wonder, I find it very interesting that the only people that seem to be wrapped up in this Zion case are North Carolina fans, are Kentucky fans, are Arizona fans, are Louisville fans, that are either rivals with Duke and want to see them go down, or they're also programs being investigated and saying, listen, if we're going to go down, Duke better go down with us. There doesn't seem to be a big national discussion about this, right? And you would think 10, 15 years ago, I think it's ironic that Reggie Bush just got reinstated on Wednesday at USC. And when Reggie Bush broke rules, I mean, it was the biggest thing in the world. I mean, everybody was talking about it. In this story, it feels like, I don't know if it's just because it's a lot of legalese or what, nobody's talking about it. And so I do wonder what the narrative will be if Zion is found guilty, if whatever happens with Zion moves forward. Because I do think that if it happens, I don't think this is fair, by the way, but I think if this happens, you know what the conversation is going to be. It's going to be, oh, well, I mean, if Duke had to cheat, then it's, it's time to change the rule book. And, 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 well, who cares? I mean, think about how much he made for, for the school. And I'm just telling you right now, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying that I like the idea that Coach K is going to skate, but I'm telling you, that is what the conversation is going to be. Now, maybe Duke will still get hit with some punishment. Maybe they will have to have a tournament ban or something will happen. And maybe it'll still happen on Coach K's watch. But I'm just telling you, I find the whole conversation about college athletics so fascinating right now in which I don't think anybody really cares that kids get paid. I'm telling you. I have followed this FBI stuff day after day after day after day, and I just don't think that people care that, you know, LSU may have given a huge-ass offer to, 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 to a recruit, or that Arizona was involved allegedly in this, or that Louisville paid a kid that. I just don't think the conversation is there anymore. And so I will be fascinated to see what happens moving forward, because I'm just telling you right now, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying I like it. I guarantee if I'm still doing this podcast in two or three years, I'm going to be saying the same thing. Well, if you gave Oklahoma State a one-year postseason ban, you better give Duke something. If you gave Louisville this, or if you gave Arizona that, or if you gave Kansas that, you better give Duke something. I'm not saying that it's fair. I'm not saying that I'm not going to fight for everybody because I do think that every team, every program should play by the same set of rules. I'm just saying that I think this Zion case, with how I've seen it covered so far, it doesn't feel like anybody other than college basketball diehards in Chapel Hill, in Lexington, in Tucson, in wherever, the schools that hate Duke, it doesn't feel like anybody really cares about it. And I just think it's going to be so fascinating to see going forward what the coverage will be if Zion does take the witness stand and if he does admit that he took some extra benefits. I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm just stating the facts, and the facts say that his parents upgraded quite a bit when they went to Durham, and there was obviously a long line of people interested in working with him when he got to the pros, and this agency is not backing down. I do think it's going to be a fascinating case, but again, I'm not sold that it's going to be this bombshell and Coach K has to retire in disgrace with his tail between his legs. I just don't think it's going to happen. A uh, couple other quick, real quick notes. This Duke stuff, it's ironic that it happened this week because, of course, 
It was also the week that Duke's AD basically came out and said that he is not in favor of all this name image likeness stuff. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I, cause, but I do think he was kind, it's kind of misunderstood what he was trying to say. And so I want to like just explain it and not defend him, but I do think it's kind of interesting. And so the backstory is this, right? We've been talking about on this show and, and in national college sports stuff forever, really. But the last like two, three months, the NCAA has basically come out and said, look, we want players to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. That means that they can use their social media feeds as a way to promote themselves. It means they can sign in autographs at, at a car dealership or they can be in a, a TV commercial as long as they're not wearing the school uniform, the school logo, the school whatever. They can be in a TV commercial and whatever and whatever. And I don't have a problem with it. I never have. But the one thing that I told you is that the NCAA has made it really clear they don't want this to be a recruiting tool, okay? They don't want it to just be the next Trevor Lawrence or the next Justin Fields coming out of high school and it comes down to, okay, Ohio State offered 800000 but Alabama offered 900000 and let's see, can we get Clemson to a million? Can we get USC to a million? The NCAA doesn't want that. And I, I think fairly, I don't think it's great to just start bidding on 18-year-old high school prospects because I think it, you know, personally to me, it creates kind of just this crazy market that I don't think that we should be doing in college sports. As I've said all along, you want to, you know, you want to do an ad on your Instagram, it's fine. You get to campus and you're Tua and you're a superstar, yeah, you should be able to go on a car commercial and all that stuff. But when you start talking about just the highest bidder for recruits, it feels kind of weird. And so the NCAA said they don't want that, but the issue has been, since the NCAA has announced, yeah, we're going to move forward with this name, image, likeness stuff, they haven't really explained what this whole process is going to look like. And so on Wednesday, or on Tuesday, excuse me, Duke's AD, Kevin White, basically said, we got to be careful with this stuff. And so what he said, and I'm going to paraphrase most of it, but he said, he released a statement that said this. Along with my colleague and friend, Bubba Cunningham of the University of North Carolina, I am concerned about potential complications attendant upon the actual implications of name image likeness legislation. How will it impact recruiting? Will it create an open marketplace in which institutions solicit businesses or boosters to offer ever escalating endorsement deals to a star high school quarterback or point guard? Will resources for equipment, apparel, and shoe companies be redirected to a relatively few individuals rather than being shared equally among the lesser known but less valuable Olympic sports? And so, of course, of course, the AD got crushed. Oh my God, he's trying to suppress the market. And oh my God, he's trying to protect Duke. And, and I thought fairly, some people said like, look, it's not like Duke doesn't have recruiting advantages under the current system. They got Nike maybe potentially recruiting on their behalf. They got a, a sweetheart deal with ESPN where basically every single game is on ESPN, ESPN2, whatever. And as somebody pointed out, I thought it was a great point by them, no one has benefited from Duke and Team USA basketball being affiliated more than Coach K. I mean, listen, when Coach K got it ramped up with Team USA, it's not a coincidence that all of a sudden Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Marvin Bagley, Zion Williamson, all these guys started coming to Duke. So I understand that argument, but I don't think Kevin White is wrong. And it comes back to all of the things that I've told you. Is one, the NCAA hasn't really laid out how this is going to work, Right. I mean, I can't think of a great analogy off the top of my head, but imagine if your boss just said there was going to be this crazy, wide-ranging like change to how you guys do your job in the office, 
but he didn't really explain how it was going to happen, right? Like he didn't really explain like like how it was going to work, what the process was going to be, what what you need to be doing right now. Like let's just say like and this is something I think that's sort of relatable is that we've all been going through this COVID-19 thing and we were all working from home for a while. Many of us like myself still are. And you know, imagine if your boss in a in a month just came out and said, "Yeah, starting in uh, the spring of 2021, our entire operation is going to be remote, and everything will be done remotely. You will no longer be coming into the office, uh, but we expect you know things to pretty much stay status quo. Other than that, I think you'd be like, okay, that's cool. I enjoyed working from home, whatever. But imagine a week passes, a month passes, two months pass, and your boss doesn't really explain anything beyond like, oh yeah, in a year we're going to be all working from home, and you're kind of figuring out like, okay. Do I need an office space? Like how much is going to be on Zoom? How many calls am I going to have a day? Do I need to get a a, a separate work office? Um, Do I need to clean out my desk? Like like you would just have questions. And so what I will say in defense of the Duke AD is that people in college sports have questions right now. You have to understand that if this goes into place, it could be as early as the 2021-2022 academic year. So basically next year. And guess what? Everybody is recruiting for next year already. And so people are recruiting the next five-star quarterback, and they're recruiting the next five-star point guard or the next five-star center. And I think these schools just have questions. And I think the questions that, that Kevin White, the AD, brought up are fair. Like, first of all, as I've said, and I said this the day that all of this stuff happened in California with LeBron James and Gavin Newsom, is there is still, like, like there is still, there's a reason that the structure is the way that it is. And does it suck for a Zion Williamson that brings in so much money for his school that he doesn't get a bigger cut of it, of course it sucks. But there's also an infrastructure in place which helps everybody, which helps the men's tennis team and the women's soccer team and the backup center fielder on the baseball team. And so what Kevin White is basically saying is this, is that I don't want my biggest sponsor, you know, say my biggest sponsor is whatever, Krispy Kreme, right? That feels pretty Southern, right? And let's say Krispy Kreme gives like a million dollars a year to Duke Athletics to be like the primary sponsor for Duke Athletics. And I don't think that is the case, but let's just play along. That million dollars, that million dollars may pay for the entire softball team and baseball team their entire year, their, um, you know, their travel, their, their, their meals on the road, their hotels on the road, whatever. And what Kevin White's saying is, listen, I'm not opposed to this name, image, likeness stuff, but... Take a Krispy Kreme. Now, instead of giving that million dollars to to Duke Athletics, you give it to Zion. I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford to run a baseball team or a softball team or a men's and women's tennis team. Take it a step further. He brings up the apparel stuff. It's the same deal. Is Nike, the way these contracts are set up with the school and Nike and Adidas and, and, and Under Armour, the, the, the apparel company, I don't know why I'm stuttering all of a sudden, the apparel company pays for to fit to, to, to outfit the entire athletic department, right? So when Duke or Kentucky signs a long-term deal with, with Nike, when Kansas signs a long-term deal with Adidas, the basketball program may be the front-facing property of Nike. The, you know, Nike may be signing up because, man, it's good to be affiliated with Duke basketball or Kentucky basketball or Alabama football or Ohio State football. But Nike also outfits the field hockey team and the volleyball team and the tennis team and the golf team. And so what the AD here is saying is, again, you know, are these apparel deals now going to just, or is, is Nike going to come to us and say, 
we'll pay you know $100,000 to everybody on the basketball team under this new name image likeness. We ain't paying for the volleyball team and the tennis team though. And so I don't know what the answer is because no one in college athletics knows what the answer is. And I do think this is a conversation that is happening behind the scenes. And so for a powerful AD like Kevin White to say like, look, we need some kind of, we need some leadership. We need some guidance. We need to understand what's actually going on here. I think it's fair. And I know he got crushed. And I know Jay Billis came after him. Jay Billis is so, you know, whatever, good at his job. But like, come on, man. I don't think it's unrealistic to say like, look, we just want some guidance. We want to know what's going on. We want to know how that's going to impact everybody. It's not just about Zion Williamson or Anthony Davis or Andrew Wiggins at Kansas. It's about the women's softball team and the women's soccer team and whatever. And maybe you just don't care. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of sponsorships that pay for these teams and these programs that could go away with this name, image, likeness stuff. So I don't have all the answers, but here is the thing. No one in college athletics has the answers, and they're looking for them, and that's all they're asking is NCAA, Mark Emmerich, give us some freaking guidance. We're not asking for much. We're just asking for some guidance. And the one thing that I've been, I, I think is fair to say with the NCAA, they are so reactive right now. They are so afraid of bad PR, of bad publicity, that they just put the, they just change these rules on the fly without any explanation. They've been getting crushed for this name, image, likeness stuff. They see it coming in Congress. California's trying to pass a law. Florida's trying to pass a law, whatever. And they're saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, we're going to change the rule in 2021. But they don't explain how it's going to happen. And so I don't blame Duke and their AD for this. I know it's easy to pile on Duke. I know it's easy to pile on the AD. Oh, you're looking out for your program's best interest. Well, he is, but it's not just his basketball program or his football program, but really his entire athletic department. Whew. All right. I think that's it for this segment of the Aerator Sports Podcast. I should mention, by the way, quick shout out. Speaking of all this NCAA rules violation, name, image, likeness stuff, Reggie Bush. I should want to give him a quick shout out. He was reinstated by USC on Wednesday. He can basically now be acknowledged at the school. It was the most surreal thing ever. I think I've said it on this podcast, but Reggie Bush, when you go to Heritage Hall on USC's campus, USC has an athletics hall of fame called Heritage Hall, okay? It's where all the great athletes, you know, they have pictures and posters and everything. You can go see O.J. Simpson's Heisman Trophy at Heritage Hall, but there is no acknowledgement of Reggie Bush. So that seemed a little ridiculous. So credit to the NCAA, basically, after 10 years, they basically said, okay, disassociation is over, USC, bring back Reggie Bush to campus, get him to be involved in your athletic department. So I thought that was really cool. I'm happy for Reggie Bush. Um, I just think it's an interesting little story. That was really all I had for today, but that's it. Like I said, Corey Evans is coming up and Corey Evans crushes it. And like I said, Corey Evans is as plugged in with the Cade Cunningham situation as anybody, right? Like, like one of the great things about this show and what I do and what, what everybody does, whenever there's a topic, you always want the person that can speak to this the best, right? If, um, I'm trying to think of an example. If, uh, I can't think of anything. If, if Joe Burrow is the number one pick in the draft, like the best person I can have on the show, if I can't get Joe Burrow, is probably Ed Orgeron to talk about how awesome Joe Burrow is or Urban Meyer who recruited Joe Burrow. Well, Kate, uh, with, with Cade Cunningham, Corey Evans is basically that guy. He's known Cade forever, knows the family well, has talked to Cade, and it is a really fascinating conversation that I have with Corey about this whole dynamic, about what could be next for Cade Cunningham. So, 
That is all for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to remind you, if you're not subscribed, now is the perfect time. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres writer on Facebook. Uh, and I think that's it. I think that's it. So Corey Evans is coming up. Really good segment. But I appreciate you guys listening. And again, for the hundredth time, thank you so much for all of your support of this show. As I said a minute ago, May most downloads in the history of this show. Monday, most downloads in any one day. So thank you for that. That is all. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Corey Evans coming up. I will be back next week. All right, joining me. Um, first of all, he's on the show all the time. I think you were my original quarantine guest. Like the first person that I talked to when this whole thing started, uh, whatever it was, the middle of March, obviously it's been a surreal few months, but it doesn't feel like it's been three months since I spoke with you. Corey Evans, Rivals.com, always with some great hoops insight and obviously with so much going on with Kate Cunningham, Jonathan Kaminga, et cetera, et cetera, a guy that I had to have on this week. Corey, what's up, my man? How you doing? I'm surviving, bro. I'm surviving. Thanks for having me back on board. But, uh, you know, we've made through. I hope so. I hope the, the through is the proper terminology there. Um, and I'm uh, just excited to kind of get in summer. Yeah, you know, let me ask you real quick. We'll get into all the Cade Cunningham stuff. But, you know, obviously, look, so, so many people that listen to this show love college hoops. Um, and I think when you and I spoke in, I guess it was March at the time, you know, we talked a lot about the – you know, the impact that it would have on the coaching carousel. And you were the first person, I believe, that came out and said, Greg Brown, I'm going to give him a crystal ball or an unofficial crystal ball to Texas because I don't think Shaka Smart's going to uh, go anywhere. And so we talked about kind of the ramifications in that moment of mid-March where we were talking about NBA draft decisions, the decisions of the top high school players in 2020. Um, what is going on now in your world in recruiting? Because obviously, look, there are staffs across the country that have now turned their attention to the classes of 2021, 2022. Um, and the, the basketball world, like life itself, has largely been halted. So for the, uh, for the recruiting community, what has the last few months been like? And, and what new challenges do you have in trying to figure out, okay, who's that next group of Zion Williamson's, Anthony Davis's, Cade Cunningham's, et cetera? Yeah, you know, it's it's all about really developing the proper habits when you have a new yeah. lifestyle like we had. Um, so at a time where I was accustomed to gearing up for McDonald's All-American game, um, you know, the Final Four, the spring eval periods in April, it was consistently every day waking up, watching different film, whether it be synergy from prior AAU seasons, um, the high school season on huddle, um, making the proper phone calls at B, whatever it was, um, it got a little monotonous. I, I, I can't lie, but that, that's part of the job. But, you know, now we're so far gone from the high school season, mm-hmm. that film is, is kind of useless. So sure. we're kind of chomping at the bit. You know, we're hoping that 
Um, in the meantime, some commitments have been made, but we're hoping to get back on the road here the next uh, the next few weeks. I hope. And you know, it, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys on this show about that are maybe going through the draft process, and and they've talked. You know, I've had on Obi Toppin, Mason Jones, Emmanuel Quickly, guys like that. They've talked about how hard it is, how hard it's been. Maybe not so much now, but six, seven weeks ago, to even find a gym to get shots up. I would assume that for a high school player, it's kind of the same deal. Of like you said, high school films useless because when you're 16 years old. Uh, four or five months is a, is like a lifetime, but how has the high school community been as far as just trying to figure out ways to keep getting better? Because I assume it's a lot similar to what these college programs and even to a degree NBA players are going through. Yeah, as you said, it kind of depends on um, each person, uh, person by person basis. And like we discussed before I came on here, you know, there are some AU events, some um, travel virtual camps popping up the next few weeks and been asked to come and to attend and evaluate, but um, we're going to play by ear and see how good these events are because we don't know how good the product is going to be. And sure. it's comparable to, we don't know how good the NBA product is going to be once mm-hmm. it comes back in, you know, in a month or so. Um, so, you know, we might have a guy like um, Kay Cunningham who can get in the gym every day down in Texas, but, um, someone up here in, you know, in Philadelphia, um, near me, they haven't seen a, you know, an indoor 94 foot basketball court since the pandemic began. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a complete guessing game and really it's not completely fair maybe to evaluate right now as well. Um, because you might be comparing apples and oranges. Very good. All right. We danced around it. And um, I do want to talk to you about Cade Cunningham. And so um, I went over it at the beginning of this show. I went over it certainly on Monday's show and really, you know, did some live video after the announcement was made. But I think anyone listening to this point knows the deal. But Oklahoma State uh, was one of the teams initially caught up in this FBI probe three, four years ago at this point. Um, I actually spoke with somebody at Oklahoma State today. They were completely blindsided by what happened, by the, the, the sanctions that came down. I'm not going to get too in-depth, but basically relative to what they were found guilty of, nobody on that campus, at least in my reporting and talking to people, believed that they were going to get hit with the sanctions that they were. The reason why it's relevant is because, one, there's I'm sure there's Oklahoma State fans listening, but, two, Oklahoma State is set to enroll the number one high school player in America, Cade Cunningham. His brother is on the staff at Oklahoma State. Um, and, Corey, you know, you – I can't speak for your personal opinions. He's one of the best high school players I've ever seen, and I think he's the total package in terms of skill, in terms of personality, in terms of maturity – um, and the idea that he might not be playing college basketball next year or not at Oklahoma State, I think is obviously really bad for the sport, but it's also to a degree, um, it, it's bad for everybody involved. And so I guess I would just start simply by asking you this. When you hear the news, Oklahoma State Friday, one-year NCAA postseason ban, what was your initial reaction? Uh, shell-shocked. You yep. know, I was actually – Given the heads up beforehand in advance, um, spoke with one of the assistant coaches there at OK State, um, spoke with a mentor of a, of a player at Oklahoma State. I actually uh, talked with Kate Cunningham before it all hit, um, and it was, it was shock all the way around, yeah. um, and rightfully so. I mean, 
I, I'm not saying that the program doesn't deserve some type of penalty, but looking back at, you know, past transgressions at, at various programs and comparing that to what occurred at Oklahoma State and to see that you're taking away, you know, three scholarships for three straight years, um, the, 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 the monetary fine, and then also it's not the death penalty, but it's as close to it because of what's enrolling with that one-year postseason ban. Mm-hmm. It was staggering. No, it was. And, and for people who don't know, I'll just kind of lay out the facts. I, I've laid them out on previous episodes, but um, an assistant coach, Lamont Evans, was basically taking money from an agent, from a, a money person, whatever, on the promise that he would give it to players and then refer those players to said money people, agents, whatever. The NCAA in their own findings, so this isn't Oklahoma State's version, this is the NCAA's findings, is that the coach essentially kept all of the money for himself. He gave $300 total to one player. That player served a suspension and every other dollar went right into his pocket. The coach was fired. Um, He now has a show cause for 10 years, so he is basically out of college basketball. And, you know, the person that I spoke with at Oklahoma State was like, dude, $300, Louisville had strippers running up and down their campus for a year and they got a postseason, for four years, excuse me, and they got a postseason ban. We had one player take $300, which he was suspended for, and we got the same thing. And, and I don't know where that even leads to, but that's kind of the context behind what actually happened at Oklahoma State and why people were so surprised by it. Yeah, it- it wasn't even for recruiting purposes. And, yes. and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not even trying to weasel Oklahoma State out of this. That's sure. not what, but it, it was for Jeffrey. I mean, Jeffrey Carroll served a suspension. Um, and that coach is no longer affiliated with that program. He was one person acting off by himself. And Mike Boyden, head coach at the time, was an assistant coach on that staff. So he wasn't even overseeing the program. So really? he came to talk about, you know, being the head coach, um, culpability here. So that, that, that's, that's really why um, you put two two together and you say why uh, or, or how, how is this possible? Um, and that's, that's the refrain that you heard constantly from the Oklahoma State side. Very good. Let's let's talk about Cade specifically. I mean, you just referenced the fact that you spoke to him the day of, maybe before the, the announcement became official. Uh, I know it was shell shock, but but what were your reactions to speaking with him, with his family, and all that? You know, I think it's it. it I, I think people need to put themselves in in Cade Cunningham's shoes, you know, and, sure. and think about okay, for eight months now, you've been gearing up for. I'm going to enroll Oklahoma State. I'm going to be a difference maker. I'm going to lead them back to the NCAA tournament. I'm going to play for my brother. I'm going to play for Mike Boyden, who was the first high major coach to offer me. Um, I'm going to play with some of my best friends. I'm going to play with a class that I helped put together. And literally in an instant, all those future plans, um, partially at least, are taken away which could lead to down the road of, you know, a decommitment, uh, which is definitely possible. All right. Well, let's get, well, let's get into that then, because, you know, and that, that's what I want to talk to you about is I think a lot of people, 
you know, think that, oh, you know, he was only there because of his brother. And maybe that's the case. Who knows? Only he knows, whatever. But as you said, Mike Boynton was the lead, uh, was the, the first high major coach to offer him. He offered him at a time where, correct me if I'm wrong, he was not anything close to a consensus. Or I don't know that he's even now a consensus number one player in America, but he wasn't a consensus top three player in America. Mike Boynton saw something in him that maybe others didn't, at least at that time. I think it was eighth grade, maybe the beginning of ninth grade. I asked Kate about it a year or so ago, and I, I don't really remember exactly what he said. But um, it feels like that relationship is real. And then I would follow up with that by also saying this. For people who haven't seen Kate Cunningham play, you know, I, I said this, Corey, and I think you'll appreciate this, is that, you know, I had a, a high major coach one time tell me, a high major assistant who recruited McDonald's All-Americans. He said, yeah, you recruit McDonald's All-Americans, but there's a different tier even in McDonald's All-Americans, right? And his, the analogy that he used is when you go to McDonald's, you can order a Big Mac, but you can also order a dollar cheeseburger. And yep. no disrespect, but there are guys that end up as dollar cheeseburgers that are two, three-year college players, maybe never make it to the NBA. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that they're not accomplished players. I bring all this up to say Cade Cunningham, in my viewings of him, was about the biggest Big Mac that I've seen uh, on, the co on the high school scene. I just think he's such a dynamic, complete player, dynamic, complete personality. So I guess what I would say is for people who either don't know anything about him or have only seen him in a, a two-minute uh, YouTube clip, take us into who he is and what makes him so special. Yeah, people ask me all the time, like, hey, hey Corey, like, why, why, do you, why are you so high on Oklahoma State next year? Like, they weren't an NCAA tournament team. They weren't even a 500 team last year. How can one guy change the culture? And um, you know how we talk about Tom Brady changing the culture at Tampa Bay this year? That's, that's how Kay Cunningham um, could or would be at Oklahoma State. Um, and just like you said, he is as complete – uh, of a package as you can surmise of a high school sport. I mean, he's six foot seven. Um, he's a best on the ball. I mean, he has some Ben Simmons qualities to him in which he's, you know, has the size, the playmaking, facilitating, can do so much, but it's those intangibles, the character traits that kind of put things over the top um, that, like I said earlier, it helps you put together a top five recruiting class. It, it He's someone that kids want to go and play with I mean he's don't want to say the, Le the LeBron effect but you know you ever notice when LeBron goes wherever he goes um every few off seasons people follow him because they want to play with him um they know they're going to get the ball they know they're going to be better because of him and that's how Cade is I mean he the kid has lost two games um wow. on the high school and travel circuit combined um, the past, you know, 12 months. And, wow. You know, that, that that's playing against the very best on the high school circuit. That's playing against the very best on the Nike EYBL circuit. So that that is reflective and very much so of just the DNA of Kay Cunningham. So let's talk about what's next for him. I mean, I, I know it's really early, and I think what a fan has to understand – is that as you've laid out many times already, is that he was completely blindsided. So it wasn't as though um, for two weeks there was talk about, okay, D-Day is coming for Oklahoma State. It could get really bad. There was no one at any level of college basketball that I believe that I've talked to that felt like a postseason ban was coming. And so 
I bring this up to say, I, I think it's pretty impossible to completely accurately uh, speculate where or what, you know, where he will be playing basketball next year. Um, and you're talking to him. I know it's early. I, a lot can change. Maybe nothing changes and maybe he shows up to Oklahoma State the first day as planned. But do you have any lean towards what he might be thinking about doing or is it even too early to speculate on that? Yeah, he still has. I mean, he still has the leverage. I mean, he could tell any practically any program in America, like if he does decommit, I'm coming. And that could be the last day that possible in August, September, whatever it might be. Um, so there's no really rush decision on his part. You know, I, I saw yesterday Jeff Goodman reported that Ferran Flavors, who is um, the Cal Baptist graduate transfer, is sticking with his commitment despite all this to Oklahoma State, which is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I would have assumed four or five days ago we would have seen multiple uh, decommitments or um, transfers from the program. We have not, so that's definitely a step in the right direction for Oklahoma State because they are appealing, but that appeal could definitely take some time to be heard, um, and it could be too late. And, you know, just my digging, and um, I, I'm not sure how credible it is, but the, they're wide open with things. They are, um, whether it's remaining at Oklahoma State, um, whether it's even going elsewhere, um, does – his uh, his brother, Cannon Cunningham, does, does Cannon stay on staff at Oklahoma State? Does someone else try to hire him away? Which I have um, been told that a few programs might be going down that route to oh. try to hire Cannon away and, you know, hopefully bring Cade with them. Um, does he go the G League route? I, I don't I don't think so. Um, I, I, I would actually be surprised um, out of any of the various avenues he'd take um, the G League route, I think, is the last on his mind. But I did not say the professional wrong is not. I, I think playing overseas is definitely uh, within grasp. I think if the right offer is made and um, the right concessions are there, that could be uh, one landing spot that could, could gain some traction here in the next few weeks. So, okay, so let's get into kind of each one specifically. So, um, you know, let, let, let's, let's just start with the most, I don't know, if I, let's just start with staying at Oklahoma State because I, I bring this up because in my minimal interactions with him, and you've known this kid for four or five years, um, he seems like a leader. He seems like somebody who, um, you know, even though he was only going to do eight, nine months in college, I believe that like he was two feet into being an Oklahoma state cowboy. Um, and like you said, you know, maybe on the phone recruiting other kids and all that stuff. I, I have no reporting that says this. Um, and I don't know if you do either, but I could see the scenario where he just says, you know what? I committed to Oklahoma state. We might not be able to play in the NCAA tournament. By the way, we might be able to play in the NCAA tournament as we appeal this, but these are my guys, and just because we can't play in the NCAA tournament doesn't mean that we can't shake some stuff up, put be a thorn in, in somebody's side, and maybe be good enough where, where people are sitting back and saying, man, Oklahoma State had a real shot this year, independent of the fact that they didn't get to play in the tournament. I wouldn't have wanted to see that team, and Oklahoma State exceeded my expectations. What do you say if I say that? 
Uh, I think you're spot on. I think people jumped to conclusions and thought that Kate Cunningham would would be a free agent. And, um, you know, Kate has, as we've already discussed, Kate has been very open about being a Oklahoma State Cowboy, about um, taking that program to another level. Yeah, maybe maybe he can't take that program to another level via the NCAA tournament, but the the platform that's going to be provided for him and the discussion, um, even more so now. I mean, you could, yeah. you, could, you could make this negative into a positive, and now it's like it's going to be appointment television every night. It's what's Oklahoma State doing? You know, what's Kay Cunningham doing? Um, he's already in the spotlight compared to others at this time um, nationally that maybe he does stick it out. Um, he has – you know, his brother there, he has a relationship there with the coaching staff. Um, he has a 2020 recruiting class coming in with him that he's very, very good friends with, two of which he played travel basketball with. So um, this is not a done deal that he is not going to ever set foot on Oklahoma State's campus. I mean, they, they have a, as good of a chance as anyone um, to have him in a few months. Yeah, and let's transition into the next thing, which would obviously be in college basketball transferring to another place. You know, it was funny when the news broke. It was something that honestly had never even crossed my mind. I was like, you know what? He's either going to play at Oklahoma State or he's going to find a pro path. Uh, you know, I did a little rant on the G League. It sounds like you don't think that's possible or it's not likely right now, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, what do you think about the possibility? I've seen you say in other um, instances, and I, it was well reported even at the time, that he loved his visit to Kentucky. I know that following the visit, there were some crystal ball picks, not from you, but from other really respected uh, media members that I, I respect the hell out of. And, um, you know, that it looked like it really could happen. Um, if he did, If he did consider other colleges, is it fair to assume that Kentucky would be a front runner? Is it fair to assume it would be wide open? Is it fair to assume that wherever his brother go, like, like what would, like if Cade Cunningham put out an announcement today, I want to play college hoops. Um, you know, coach Boynton, I love him to death, but I want to play in the NCAA tournament. I don't think that will personally happen, but if he did, uh, how would you kind of see that going as far as him actually being on the open market? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's more of an Oklahoma State professional battle. Um, but um, assuming that he does or banking on him reopening things, you have to assume that Kentucky is going to be involved. Um, whether that's accurate or not, that's, that's just, you know, personal opinion. But um, you have to assume that, you know, Cal being Cal, they're sure. going to recruit the best regardless of what their roster looks like. Yep. Um, and as you say it, I mean, it, those crystal ball picks were not wrong. I mean, he, yep. he, he was as close to a committed Kentucky prospect as you can get. Um, mm -hmm. And it took him to kind of wait things out and let the seam settle um, before he kind of realized what he ultimately wanted, um, which was Oklahoma State above all else. But with that relationship already built, um, again, Kentucky, if, if, if they come to the table, um, they might be one of the few to, that that'll be hard to beat. Yeah, and to be abundantly clear, um, that was not me knocking anyone for putting in a crystal ball because everything that I heard in those moments was, as you said, as close to a commitment 
uh, as you can possibly get without you know, explicitly saying it or whatever. So that wasn't a knock on anybody. I respect that. You know, Corey, I've told you many times, I respect the hell out of what you guys do. I can sit here and turn on a mic at any time I want. You guys are the ones that are on the road 300 days a year doing this stuff. So if that wasn't clear, uh, I want to make it clear. You mentioned that you don't believe the G League is is, is at the top of the forefront of professional options. Why do you say that? Um, you know, it's direct knowledge of dealing with Cade in the past. Um, even when just discussing things with the elite prospects, when Jalen Green was the first to make the, the jump. Um, and I remember Cade even saying something as far as, you know, that that really does not intrigue me compared to overseas. If I would do that, it'd be overseas. And of course, two, three months later with COVID in mind, the pandemic in mind, and international travel in mind, you know, that could change, um, especially as the G League takes off. But going back to it, we both said it separately. Um, Cade's a leader. Um, and I think that he might see going to the G League um, as a, a, a follow type of situation where he's following other fellow elites that he's used to competing against. Um, now he's going to be um, following two. And that's not something that I think that he is really all about. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, you know, even though Cade is, and I don't know exactly where he is in your guys' rivals rankings, but, um, you know, he even though he's considered, you know, ahead in some rankings of Jalen Green, I do think it would be a situation where he would just be the next guy where they've kind of built Jalen Green as the face of the program. By the way, when you say even back then that it wasn't something that interested him, was it more that they're not really playing games? Is it that it's mostly training? Is it not being on the stage of a college basketball or overseas? What, what, in your mind, what was it about that G League that was not a really an appealing deal to him? You know, Cade's very strategic and well thought out. And I think it, it was one, um, maybe he might not have been educated enough or maybe he was educated to the point that he didn't see it as um, a legitimate landing spot for his one-year hiatus from high school to the NBA, that, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that jumping point. And, um, you know, the, there's not – the uniformity was not there and you know we still don't know all of it I mean we sure. we just found out yesterday Brian Shaw is you know the head coach of it um so the that whole dynamic is still in the works where um and like you said the platform is it might be greater overseas still uh, when it comes to playing games um and in the television market and um just being marketed better uh for the most part very good. I don't really have anything else on Cade Cunningham. I mean, obviously, you um, you know, it's going to be an evolving thing. And it's interesting because it's the other kind of timing thing of it is weird is that normally kids would be back on campus by now, but I don't believe that Oklahoma State is back yet, um, which whatever. Do you think the last question on Cade Cunningham, do you think there's a next step? Do we do we have any time frame? Um, and do you have any lean as to where or if he will actually be playing basketball anywhere starting in the fall into the winter into the spring? I think it's for all those things involved, it's a guessing game. I think right sure. now he's a gym rat. I mean, this guy's a gym rat. He's been he's been getting in the gym every day down there in Dallas with his his cousin. Um, who trains him 
Um, and when he says he's focused on getting better, um, he's not lying. So, yeah, they are. You know, his family is discussing the whole situation in every avenue that they could take. But I don't think they're in much of a rush for the most part right now, whether it's staying committed to Oklahoma State, whether it is um, making a, a separate move to a, a different college, or whether it's the overseas route. So I think it's going to remain fluid for the most part. I mean, think about it. It's only, you know, June, June yep. 10th or whatever it is. And as you said, Oklahoma State, they do not get on campus till the 29th. So, um, you know, even if so, that's still 19 days away if he wants to be the first on campus. So, and there's no even rush to do that. So, as of now, we're in a waiting game. Anything can happen between now and even tonight. So, we will see. You're talking about bad timing for Oklahoma State. The fact that they, um, you know, independent of not knowing all this, couldn't, it didn't, chose not to bring their kids back on campus. Uh, You know, normal year he'd be there and, you know, maybe he'd already be bonding with the guys. It makes it a little bit tougher, but surreal, surreal, surreal moment. All right. I do want to hit on a couple last uh, just quick thoughts on some other recruiting stuff. Um, I think it's worth noting. We've talked a lot about the G League and all that. So there's another kid for people and I'm just trying to set it up for those who might not know, but a kid named Jonathan Kaminga, who was the number one player in the junior class this last season, 2021, um, moved up his high school graduation, graduated, I believe, this past weekend, and is now eligible both to play college basketball next season, to play in the G League, and most importantly, he's eligible for the next NBA draft after this one, so 2021 would be uh, that NBA draft. Um, believe he cut it to five a few weeks ago, G League being an option along with Texas Tech, Auburn, Kentucky, and Duke. Do we have a lean yet? Everything I've heard is that he is one that is legitimately interested in the G League, but I don't know if it's early enough to speculate. Um, I, I would be surprised if he has not given the G League route. Um, I'm about 95% sure that he's going to the G League. Um, you know, he, he has actually not officially reclassified into 2020, but um, it's all semantics by now. Um, you know, he, he's – probably expecting to make a an official announcement the next few days regarding 2020 but either way you know his final four is Auburn um, Duke Kentucky and Texas Tech his brother Joel and Tomway uh, was a was a transfer sit out this past year at Texas Tech so they're definitely heavily in the mix it's an Auburn Texas Tech battle but uh, you know like I said I'd say it's 95 percent G League five percent everyone else very good. Is that strictly, uh, you know, you can make money in the G League and you can in college basketball? Is, does he believe it's his best, best way to develop or is it, is it just, uh, you know, somewhere in between? You know, I think there was some options overseas for him. Um, but I think it was more about, like you said, getting to the professional rung, um, competing on that new platform. Um, and he's, I mean, John – all he really cares about is basketball. I mean, he's, he's already has those professional habits um, pad down. So I think this was just the next move in his ascent um, towards the NBA. Very good. Really quick, um, another player that reclassified, Musa Cisse. Again, for people who don't know, um, foreign kid, been in the United States for four or five years now, whatever. He was originally part of the class of 2021, uh, moves up to 2020. 
everything I've heard is LSU is the, the going to be the spot. I know obviously Memphis is in the mix. He played his last year of high school ball in Memphis. Um, any any um, thoughts on him? And then also, I know we're so we're recording here Wednesday night for people who don't know. This will run Thursday morning. I know he could commit it just about any time. But any thought on what that time frame might be as well? Towards the latter half, it's a guessing game. Um, you know, we were expecting a commitment from Musa Cisse last week. Um, you know, of course, that has, that has not happened. LSU is still the leader in the clubhouse, but for as confident as I was in LSU a week ago, um, I'm deviating a little bit. I'm not saying, you know, another program is the one to beat, but um, there is some hesitancy there. Um, really? You know, I, I, yeah, I still do believe he picks Memphis, or picks LSU, but um, the longer it plays out, um, the worse off it is for LSU. Um, you know, but again, I was 100% sold on LSU last week, so maybe I'm 95 now. Um, but again, the longer it goes, um, whether it's you know next week, two weeks, a month, or even into August, it's possible. Um, the worse off it is for LSU. Do you think that there's one program that's jumped in uh, if it's not going to be LSU? No, I, I, I really don't know because, honestly, I don't even know who's in second place. <laughs> it's, to, to me, it's, it's always been LSU. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've, I, I placed my future cast prediction in LSU back in October when everyone thought it would be Memphis or Georgetown, whoever it might be, um, you know, People try to take a guess on Memphis because of, of course, making the move to Memphis his senior year of high school. But that was really no – there was no connection to the Memphis basketball program because of that move. So um, I really couldn't tell you who second place is, but um, it's still LSU versus the field for the most part. But, you know, real quick on Memphis, um, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Can you explain to the casual fan the importance of Mike Miller leaving? Because, you know, what I try to explain to people is a head coach, you know, they can get on the road, but there's so many commitments that they have with Booster Club and TV shows and radio shows, and they got to do this and they got to do that. And the assistants are really the ones that lay the groundwork. And, you know, Mike Miller was in the unique position where because he had a son that plays, you know, he could even be on the road more than the traditional assistant could be. And, the thing that I always said about Mike Miller is, and I'm not in nearly as many gyms as you are, and I would never say that I am, but, you know, it seemed as though he had a real relationship with kids and a real relationship with parents and a guy that really just, frankly, it seemed like everybody liked. And I, I would just be curious the, the, the impact that you believe him not being at Memphis has on that program going forward. Yeah, Mike Miller is one of the top five coaches in college basketball. Um, I mean, he has – um, everything you look for in the next high major head coach. Um, mm. Maybe he does jump back in down the road. Um, but Mike is someone that he's not among the, you know, the prototypical past NBA guys that have filled in the college yes. game. This is someone that has his work ethic is second to none, um, whether it's recruiting, um, on the floor player development, um, X and O wise, he was, one of the, the people responsible for Memphis's top 25 defensive efforts this past year. Um, you know, he, he, he helped recruit Boogie Ellis, Precious Achua, uh, Lester Canonis to Memphis. Um, you know, he's, 
he had a large hand in various portions of that program. So losing him, um, it's definitely a giant, giant void that Penny Hardaway will have to fill um, and hopefully do it in a timely manner. All right, last question. I know you got to run, dude. I appreciate you so much taking so much time. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, one of the top-ranked recruiting classes in the Big East. Uh, you know where I'm going with this, but, um, you know, I spend so much time talking about, you know, the guys that are going to Kentucky and Cade Cunningham and this and that. There's a, there's a new kid on the block in the Big East named the UConn Huskies, okay? And uh, wrapped up a really solid recruiting class. And it could be about this specific class. It could be the general direction. But you live in the Northeast, um, and I just think it's been such an impressive – talent overhaul from Dan Hurley over the last, you know, 18 months, two years, whatever it's been since he took over with what looks like a top 25 recruiting class, a kid they brought in last year, James Booknight, I believe has the potential to be a first round pick in 2021 um, for transfers. It just feels like that program is trending in the right direction. And maybe I'm a total Homer alum, but I was even talking to some people, um, you know, today that really feel like things are going in the right direction there. So one, the recruiting class, but two, the, the overhaul and the cultural change. And I know that's a program because they're in, they're in the Northeast, you get to see a lot of, uh, you know, at all these events and stuff like that. Yeah, first of all, they needed to do that, right? Because yes. making that leap oh, to the Big East, um, they, they needed it, right? Right. Um, but as a whole, man, the 2020 class coming in with Andre Jackson, um, Javante Brown, Ferguson, and Adonis Nogo. And then just throw in Tyrese Martin that, you know, could potentially be a sit-out transfer. Um, as a whole, uh, Andre Jackson is one of the best athletes I've covered. I mean, he's explosive mm -hmm. as all get out. I mean, he's a combo rangy, two, three, four wing that has, has success guys in that mold at UConn. And then, you know, Brown Ferguson and Snogo. Snogo is a ready-made guy, um, hard playing, um, interior presence. And Brown Ferguson is even more highly rated, but has, you know, higher upside, might not be as great from day one, but, as a whole, that, that three-man class and Tyrese Martin, who has already been a productive uh, college basketball player at Rhode Island, um, that's just going to infuse more talent, more versatility, and uh, raise their ceiling for success moving ahead. And as you said, moving ahead, um, you know, there aren't many programs that have been really reshaped as much as UConn basketball in the past two or three years, whether it comes from – you know, the renaissance on the floor and also um, consistently enrolling, you know, four and near five-star talent um, every fall. Ironic you used the word reshaped because there were some guys that needed to get in shape when uh, Coach Hurley got there. But uh, it has been a, a really – it's been fun even as an alum. And it's crazy because as many people as I know, you know, across college basketball, I really don't really know anybody that's there now. But just as somebody who follows the program, has followed it my whole life, it's been fun to watch the slow rebuild. They were playing really well down the stretch. And obviously, uh, under different circumstances, maybe could have stolen a, an automatic bid We'll never know, but in a lot of ways, it just sets up for an even more exciting season. So Corey Evans, uh, he comes on with me two or three times a year. One of the best, I, I just think, just on the ground, getting to know these personalities, these players, not just the, the players themselves, but the parents, the coaches. Uh, make sure you're following him at Corey Evans underscore 10 on Twitter. Uh, dude, we do this every, you know, two, three months, man, and I so appreciate the time. 
I hope you're staying safe. I hope you get back on the road soon. And thank you so much for the insight that you provided today. No, always, man. Thanks for having me on, bro. I really appreciate it. Always have a good time.